Good morning. We are glad you are here. We're excited to share with you from the Word today on a very tough topic, one that impacts all of our lives, and yet God wants, to, and because it does, He wants to use it powerfully for us to know Him, to us to grow with Him through that. But before we get into the topic, it gives me uh, the pleasure to introduce my third son, James. And he grew up in this church, um, graduated from the school here, uh, went on, uh, James, how many universities did you attend? Nine. Okay. Because he, he, he wanted to bless a lot of different folks. Uh, <laughs> and, but he did graduate, he graduated well, and ministered in uh, the Urban Hope area there. And then a the tremendous story about how Rebecca from the Bible, right? And it wasn't um, Jacob, it was J or Jacob. Yeah, it was. That's, that's right. It's cool. Uh, make the connections here, huh? Uh, how they met and God's blessed them. And he'll tell you about the ministry that God's entrusted to them. So uh, we, yeah, we've, we've been sending out letters and, and been in a, in a, a point of transition where we're, uh, we've been asking God the last couple of months of where, uh, where, he, where he'll, he'll send us and where he'll use us next. Uh, we really have, have a heart for, uh, for the spread of the gospel and especially in, in the form of the church, you know, because the church is the answer um, in, in a lot of ways to the, the difficulties that the world faces. It's where we find our community. It's where we find and learn the truth about Jesus. Um, and, and so uh, we are getting ready. Our family is getting ready to move out uh, to California. Um, and we'll be working in a neighborhood called El Medina, um, which is in Orange, California. Um, and so uh, this, is, this is my family, by the way. We do have five boys, um, and they are a lot of fun and a lot of energy. And so my wife, Rebecca, and we have Elliot, Emmanuel, Santiago, Mateo, and Solomon. They're not in order there. That's their age order. So, um, but yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of fun with our boys. Uh, we've joined a, a group called On Mission Partners, and their goal is to reach the nations. And in a lot of ways, reaching the nations, um, they want to open people's eyes to the opportunities we have to reach the nations here. Um, here in, in the U.S., there's a lot of opportunities to do that. And I was just talking with Howard Blair about our, our move to L.A., and he was like, well, yeah, that's, the world is in L.A. You can go and find every type of restaurant, which is a real benefit if you like lots of food, which we do. Um, and then you can also go and, and find people speaking every language and, and, and every tongue and, and we're going to have the opportunity to work in a neighborhood called El Medina, which is, is mainly a Hispanic neighborhood. And Rebecca and I have had the, the privilege of spending time in the Dominican Republic and in Spanish neighborhoods in Philadelphia and learning the language. And so we'll have the, the chance to come alongside of some people who are doing ministry there and, and push that ministry forward to, to see God establish home groups and home fellowships that, that we, we pray would turn into churches that would honor and glorify God. The main influence in the neighborhood that we're going to, uh, there really isn't evangelical churches. There's a, there's a big Catholic church, and that Catholic church has a real hold on the community. Um, and so we'll ask that you would be praying for us as we enter into that, uh, that God would open people's eyes to understand the grace and love that Jesus has, the freedom that he offers, um, and and do be praying for us as we go. There's a lot of details, like selling a house and moving. Uh, we're planning on moving at the end of March, whether our house sells or not, and, um, and in moving children as well, you know, be praying for our boys as, as, we, as we head across the country, and they'll, they'll be excited because we will be closer to some other cousins, and Rebecca's family is over there, um, but, but we do ask for prayer, and if you'd like to be updated on what we're doing, you could send me an email. Uh, my email's up here, jamesmholt3 at gmail. Or you could all, as well, I know this group probably texts more. Um, so if you, if you would text our last name, Holt, to that number there, um, then we'll send you uh, occasional updates that way. Or if you really, if you prefer 
the old-fashioned mail. We do that as well on just about a monthly basis. Uh, just either email me your address or uh, write it out and give it to me later on. And we would love to, to keep you guys updated on, on what God's doing and as we move in that direction. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you, James. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that this passage today has powerful truth that can help our lives today, this week, and in the future. Help us as we go through it to teach it accurately. Father, we pray that you know the needs that are abundant in this congregation this hour. And Father, you want to meet those needs as your Holy Spirit taking the word, applying it to the heart of the situation, and giving us the desired motivation to obey and to see a change because you love us and you want to use it powerfully in our lives. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Why suffering? It's one of the hardest things that we as Christians have to endure. Many times, and you may have met Christians, you may have been one, that you started along the path and you maybe signed on thinking that, God, it's going to be smooth. Well, all of a sudden, we have trials, we have tribulations, and unfortunately, Christians leave the path because of the adversity that they face. Today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see a blind man. And I couldn't help, uh, Courtney, the selection of songs this, that, that leading up. The blind guy would have really gotten into that. In fact, um, other, he's in heaven, so he's really on stage right now. But second best would, would have been pretty cool to be here in Waldorf, uh, praising the Lord in that regard. Uh, are you suffering? Is there someone you care for who's suffering? Uh, there's some, some people I want to share with you that across my life, like across your life, that things have happened and you, you don't know why. Yet God wants to use these situations and your situations in a powerful way to grow you up. One of them, there's a couple that they had a child and the child uh, was birthed. It was a difficult birth. And, but through the process, they found out. that she had some genetic disorder. And they went to specialists, they did what they could, and her development was slow, yet uh, she continued. She learned to crawl, it was much later, and, but to this day, she can't, she can't talk. She can say some words. Um, that, that young lady, today is 17, she lives in Indiana. That young lady is my oldest granddaughter. Some of you know her and have loved on her, and I appreciate that. It's had an impact on our family. It's a gift. As, as we open it up, there's different dimensions of God's love and his purpose that we would have never imagined. My wife, Marcia, works with special needs children as a because of that today. That's one young lady. Uh, a young man uh, that, um, and the Kaisers will, will know this young man, was gifted in theater arts and was serving the Lord, loved the Lord, and just in September of his senior year, he, like me, liked to run, and um, he entered a race down in Virginia Beach and in the beginning of the race, for some unknown reason, he fell and hit his head. He should have died. But God uh, had a doctor there. 
that revived Greg. The young man's name is Greg Kenny. He somehow survived. He went to the Krieger Kennedy place in at John Hopkins where Esther Duransky uh, works. And I remember visiting him there with another teacher and how just learning the letters and the movement, it's like he had a stroke and there's only part of his body's working. Yet he persevered in the way his mom and dad are handling it. I don't know how they're handling it. It's, just, it's only God. <laughs> Yet he's pursuing his degree and he's, he's joyful. I mean, it was a major impact on the kids at our school. Just why is Greg happy? Why is Greg, how's he handling this? One third situation, different ways God handles suffering. Uh, a couple that more of the people in the first service knew, Joan and Ray Umbarger, had uh, come to the area. Uh, Ray had graduated from the Naval Academy, had settled here in the area, and um, Joan had a series of migraine headaches, and they just would not go away, just wouldn't disappear. Obviously, it infected their two children, Jody and Brad, and Ray hung in there and continued to be part of the choir. He was a regular member of our church. God moved him out of the area. They went to Pennsylvania, and just some people from the earlier service told me that God answered the prayer about her health. He took her home. She's whole today. So there's different ways that, that God will answer our prayer. He's a God of a amazing imagination, and things that we think should be a certain way, he turns it around and uses it significantly for his glory and for our good. As, you, as we look at the story today, as you see it on the screen or turn in your, to John chapter 9, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. Jesus saw this blind man. And he knew the ministry, the change that he wanted to make in him. And he, he picked him out of a crowd, and, and he had a, a plan that he wanted to work through that. Some of you here, some of you in the, in the congregation have, have no blind people. Carrie and Brett and just working through your family. Um, and others, if I had a chance to raise your hand, you could tell me. Uh, it's amazing what they do. Uh, as I've, I've run marathons, and I've seen people that are blind run with uh, the blind person runs with another sighted person. And I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. Or even one time in Richmond, I saw a guy with a cane, and he had some vision, but he was going to, you know, go along the way. And I was thinking, man, I, I can see. How, how's this guy doing it? Again, just different desires, different abilities, huh? Anyway, Jesus saw this, this, this blind man, and his disciples asked him, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, a very good theological question pops up right there with the disciples. Again, he's, they've already had a number of encounters with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are, are clearly do not want Jesus to be proclaimed. They do not want his name to be lifted up. So Jesus is, again, engaging them, and we'll, we'll see how he engaged them. But again, the blind guy, just to get the sense of what was happening in his life, he, he never saw a sunrise or a sunset. He, didn't, he never saw the, the face of his mom. He was an outcast. He couldn't go to school. He couldn't, he couldn't work for a living. He couldn't marry or have children uh, or sustain a household. He was, he was lonely, rejected. He, he could not see, but he could hear. So just think the comments that were made as they passed by. Yeah, he heard these things. He's a real person. 
Again, the disciples ask, who sinned, him or his family? Again, they ask the wrong, if you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. There's two ways that we can look at, uh, approach what, what is bad, when bad things happen. And one term uh, that we, is karma and kingdom. Karma is the idea, and many of you are familiar with that, that in Eastern religions, that you need to do something to, to win back, something good to, to replace the bad that's taken place. Uh, and you, you may think, you know, I'm a, I'm a bad person, I've got to do something good. I may have come from a bad family. Uh, it, there's that karmic debt that needs to be replaced. Where, versus the kingdom, and that's what we're looking at today, Jesus' idea of the kingdom, and scripturally and biblically, is, is far different. It's far more encouraging in that regard. Jesus says the issue is not sin, but suffering. And what are some potential reasons that, that we suffer? It could be because of sin that we've committed, our lifestyle choices, where because it runs run down our body, whether it's drugs or whatever, things like that, choices that we've made. It might be family sin in terms of patterns and uh, lifestyle that's passed down, and we just just haven't broken the chain, and we continue to do that. Uh, we live in a fallen, broken world. Things are not the way that we suppose that they're supposed to be. And sometimes there's even demonic attack. You think about Job. What an excellent man. One of the earliest figures in the Bible. Raised his family, prayed offerings uh, for them, was concerned that they knew God and they walked with him, and yet he comes up with boils and sufferings. And one day, just the the trauma scale that he would have handled in terms of losing all his children, much less his possessions and things like that. And we, you know, have a little more sympathy for his wife it, it, with the cherishing heart of, of a mother. He said, you know, curse God and die. I mean, obviously she was, she was feeling pretty bad about this too. Yet this very holy man was used by God to teach us some valuable things. We might just be the victim when someone else has done, done to you, like a drunk driver or, or something. And it's the what-if game. What if I had not left at this time? What if I had not done that? Um, and then, finally, it's just mysterious. We don't know. Paul asked, who has known the mind of the Lord? Paul knew a lot of the mind of the Lord, but he didn't know it totally for sure. Do we have... Um, as you look around, do we have people that are, that are bad or broken and suffering? Yes, there's, there's not just the issue of sin. Again, we all sin and need forgiveness. We need that, what Christ has given. But yet, it, it's just a broken world. There, a spouse leaves. You know, you, we talked about getting cancer, a prodigal child, uh, chronic sufferings. Uh, friends may have betrayed you. Sin, again, is, is a problem, but sometimes when we look at the full counsel of God, and that's what we want to do today as we look through this story, to give you some hope and encouragement that, that God is, if you take back the, 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 the tent cover, so to speak, God, what are you doing here? That's what we want you to see today and be encouraged by. The better question is not why, but how can I use my suffering to glorify and honor you? And so I'll pick it up here. In the, this, it's, a, it's an important change as... As we see in the life of, of Job, Job could ask, why, God, why? And he did. Uh, and God's not too small that he can't answer the question of why. Um, but a lot of times we don't get the answer to the question of why. Um, 
Instead, we need to ask the question, how? How can we glorify God in suffering, in sickness, in a broken world that, that its broken effects um, come and, and they cause suffering and they cause pain and sadness in our lives? And this guy is, is kind of lucky because um, Jesus is there and Jesus gives him an answer directly about why he is suffering. And it's beautiful. In John 9, 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And in Jesus answering for a, a blind man who, yeah, why, why was he blind all his life? Why did he never get the privilege that a lot of us do um, to, to marry and to see beautiful sunrises and sunsets and, and all, all these other things? Why? Well, this, this guy gets the answer, and it's directly from the mouth of Jesus. And what an encouragement that must have been, well, especially a little later when, when he heals him. But now he sees, he, you know, I am blind so that God can be glorified. And as we think of that, as we think of asking that question, how can we glorify God in our suffering, we'll give you a, a few ways this morning that, that you might be able to do that as you ask that question. How can I glorify God in suffering and sickness and sadness? Um, a few of those ways are if it's the result of, of sin, and like we've, we've seen this as we've worked with guys who are homeless or addicted to, to heroin. You know what? In a lot of ways, we describe to kids, like, hey, um, when you go and you, and you talk to someone who's addicted to heroin and someone who's just, they're living on the streets and their sin has, has resulted in this great brokenness, um, then you, you get, in, in some ways, they're lucky that, that this brokenness has ruined their life to the point where they realize they need a savior. And not, that's not, not, not my words, but, but we have a, a guy who we worked with, Tommy, who he's gone through this. He's gone through addiction. He's gone through the brokenness and the crazy things that he would do uh, as he was a, enslaved by drugs. Uh, and he was so glad that God brought him through that so that he would see his brokenness clearly. And if it is a result of sin, well, Jesus gives us the answer of, of repent. And we have that. We have that invitation to come and repent. And it doesn't mean that all of our symptoms are going to be alleviated but it, it does mean that we're going to walk with the Savior, and he's going to walk with us through that suffering. And, and we will then be able to walk with others. And, that, and my friend Tommy, that's what he's doing. You know, like he feels like, man, God has called me to heroin addicts. And when is he most tempted by heroin? It's not when he's sitting next to a heroin addict and ministering to him. It's when he's far away on family vacation or other places. He's like, man, I need to be with people who are in this place, in this brokenness, because it reminds me that I, I want nothing to do with it. And, and so if it's a result of sin, God invites us to repent. The other thing that, that suffering can do, it can be a testimony to other believers. And we know people like this who, as they've suffered, as they've gone through difficult times and, uh, and, and been in difficult spaces and things that they can't explain, but they have a, a, a firm faith in Jesus, that that faith strengthens us. I was telling a story earlier about a guy who was homeless, and, and man, it, it's kind of like when a guy comes to you and he's homeless, and you, and you pray, God, can you provide for this? Can you, can you pull him out of homelessness? Um, and your faith gets to be strengthened as if that, if that guy it comes along and walks through a process of believing in Jesus and then just trusting him, even in a difficult space. You, as well, are encouraged by that, and you get to see others as they walk in faith and your faith is encouraged. The other thing, it's a witness to unbelievers. Sometimes we're, we're tempted as, as, as a church and as, as believers to not let our brokenness or things that, that are difficult in our life or our suffering show to others. But it, 
But how are they going to know that our God can overcome and, and sustain us through suffering unless they know about it? And it's not like we go and advertise and look for sympathy. Not at all. But we say, you know, you know in, in, this, in this difficult circumstance, my God is still good. In cancer, my God is still good. My God loves me. And whether it's on this earth or in the next, that we see our, that promise fulfilled of a, of a new body, of a healed body. You know, that's, that's the hope that we have and we walk in. And that is a, a firm testimony to others. In Hebrews, how many of those who walked in faith didn't get to experience the promised land on this earth? They didn't get to enter into the land. But they walked in faith. And that's what we're called to do. And that's a witness to believers to strengthen their faith. And that's a witness to those who don't believe. To call them to a belief to a God who can sustain and pull us through. So that, those are our opportunities. They, the, the suffering and sickness present an opportunity for us to glorify God. As we move through the story um, in John 9, 6 through 8, we're going to see, so, see the actual miracle here as it happens. And the beginning uh, starts in verse 6 saying, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. Before we go on, like this, <laughs> this, this in, in a lot of ways reminds me of, of my kids. Um, any dirt they find, they want to make into mud. It, like, this, is, this is true, of, especially of boys. It's, I, I, would, I don't know about girls because we don't have any yet. Um, uh, but, but it's true of boys. They want to make dirt into mud and they want to play with it. And so I can imagine my boys in the backyard spitting in the, in the dirt and then making mud and then covering each other in it. And better, you know, mud is the least thing that we have to worry about them being covered in. Um, but covering themselves in mud and then you walking out and being like, what are you doing? And they're like, hey, we're, you know, Jesus did it. And, or, hey, we're, we're healing the blind man, right? You know, like, what a beautiful reenactment. Not, not at all. Um, like, if they had grown up in the, the, the 80s and 90s, they would, have, they would have probably held up their wrist and did, like, WWJD pops, you know, like, or the T-shirt or the bumper sticker or all the other things that we had. Um, but, you know, like, I can, I can imagine that. But anyway, this is a strange way that Jesus heals this guy, needless to say. But... So he then anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back. See, the man is healed. What a, what a celebration should happen at this point, right? And the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And who should know, right? Like this is, who should, this guy knows, I am the man. I've never seen your face and I've never seen your face and I've never seen this street and I've never seen that building. I, I didn't know what a horse looked like. I knew how bad it smelled, but I didn't know any of these things before today. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen him. <laughs> and so, so we see this man, he, 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 he's healed. And when does that healing come? A few things about the man. When does that healing come? It comes after he goes and washes. 
Um, and this isn't to say that, that we need to go and you need to have more faith and you need to go and you, you, your, your blessing or your, your healing comes after a certain amount of obedience. But this man was an example of walking in faith. How easy was it for a blind man to get to the pool of Siloam? Not easy. He had to probably ask people for help and ask for directions. And, and he had to walk and he had to go. And he was believing Jesus all of this time. He was walking in faith. And then he washed and, and, he, and he came back and, and his ministry started. He's a testimony to all of those who were around him. He was saying, I am the man. I was blind and now I see. And so he's, he's giving a testimony about what Jesus has done. How Je he, didn't, he had never seen Jesus, but he had heard Jesus and he knew of him from people talking about him. And so he started to give a testimony. His ministry started right then and there. And as we, as we think about this, this, this miracle, in, in some ways, is, is really, um, really unique and significant as well. Giving sight to the blind. And I didn't know this before looking at the passage and, and, and looking at and listening to some others and uh, people who have greater wisdom on these things. But did you know that, that healing of the blind never happened in the Old Testament? No one was ever healed of blindness. No one ever recovered their sight in the Old Testament. People were raised from the dead. Um, there was jars that kept producing oil and all sorts of other miracles, but no one recovered their sight. And Jesus points to this in, in some different places. And if, if you go to Luke chapter 4 with me, we see the very first time Jesus is getting up in a synagogue and preaching in the book of Luke, they give him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus rolls out the scroll of Isaiah, but we're going to look at it in Luke here. Um, it's on page 1117, um, if you need that. It's my Bible, but... Um, and Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah to chapter 61, verse 1, and Jesus reads this, and we see it in Luke 4, verse 18. It said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Isaiah, this is a, a prophecy that is given about when the year of the Lord's favor is going to come. And no one recovers, blind, is, recovers sight from blindness in the Old Testament. But we see Jesus reads this, and then he drops the scroll, and he goes and sits down. He really, I don't know if he dropped the scroll, but he did go and sit down. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back. Okay, so he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So Jesus just reads that and sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus was proclaiming with this miracle of giving someone sight was that the kingdom has come. The Messiah is here. And he's proclaiming, I am the Messiah. I am the one who was promised. I am the one who was prophesied about. And so this, this is a really significant miracle. And it actually, if you, if you put all the Gospels together and you record how many times Jesus did this and how many times Jesus did that, um, giving sight to the blind is the one that he does the most. It's the most recorded. He, might, he probably did a lot. And, well, we know that if all of his works were filled, it would be beyond this. But the one that's recorded most and the significance of that is that Jesus is unveiling the kingdom. He's inviting people in to come and believe that he is the Messiah. And so this, this beautiful miracle um, is an unveiling of who Jesus is. And as, as we look at this, we'll look at the man first. And you, you look at the man and his, his belief then um, 
his blessing comes after his obedience. And by no means is that the way that God always works. He chooses us, and we, we are given faith so that we can believe. Um, and God comes after us. Um, this man trusts God, again, as we said before. He trusts God until he sees. Um, and we want to encourage you in suffering. That's one of the ways that we walk. As we walk through suffering to encourage believers and unbelievers, we want to trust God, trust his word, even as we don't see and understand the question of why. If we look at the religious leaders in this, we see that to them, more important than this man's healing, more important than, than Jesus coming and being the Messiah and fulfilling his prophecy, is their own laws. We'll find out that this is on a Sabbath, and Jesus liked to heal on a Sabbath. Why do you think Jesus liked to heal on the Sabbath? Because it really ticked a lot of people off. <laughs> I mean, he was trying to show them that their system of rules that they had come up with was not equal to God's law, and it was not something that was going to bring them back into a relationship with God. Jesus is, is revealing this. He picks the Sabbath to go heal. That is, he could have healed on a lot of other days. He could have done this. He could have waited a day and done this on Sunday back then, and Monday or Tuesday. He could have picked any day of the week. But Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and it, it helps to reveal in the Pharisees something that's wrong with them. They put their rules up on a level with God's law. And so as they, as they do that, they're more worried about, well, Jesus told this guy to go walk. You can't travel on the Sabbath. Jesus was kneading in the dirt. He was spitting and making mud. You can't knead on the Sabbath. Um, those, are, those are the type of things that they were concerned about. So they see this, they hear about this miracle, they see this miracle, and what are they concerned about? Well, it doesn't fit what they expect someone to do. Their laws, their expectations, their rules. Jesus doesn't break God's law here. It doesn't say in the Old Testament you can't heal on the Sabbath. I don't think a lot of people had to worry about heal, the, the, the Israelites in the Old Testament healing on the Sabbath. Most of them were complaining about food and all sorts of other things. Um, but we look at them and we realize this. And, and we, we can be like Pharisees, though. Like, we can reject people. And that's what they, they had rejected this blind man. And we'll see even later that they continue to reject him. Um, but we can reject people based on our rules. This happens sometimes in culture because we expect a certain thing to happen. Uh, and as we've learned about culture, there's, there's certain things that wouldn't be accepted at my house growing up, like reaching across the table to get the ketchup Right? You know, it would have been said, no, you ask someone to pass that, and you say please. Um, and I was taught manners, especially by my grandmother. Um, and and though that, that type of rule, in some cultures, it would be completely rude for me to interrupt your meal and ask you to, get, to pass the ketchup to me. Why would you interrupt this person? That's so rude of you. Don't interrupt them just so you can have ketchup on your eggs, and that's disgusting. Never do that. Um, oh, <laughs> But, but our culture can sometimes step in the way of us, of us accepting and loving other people. Jesus didn't let him do that. Other times, it can be, and this is, this is, this is a more thorny one, our politics. Um, I, absolutely, we're, we're grateful to live in a country where we can affect the, the governance of it. That's great. But our politics can't stand in the way of us loving and reaching out to and accepting others. And so... So, of course, people who are, are, are dealing with abortion and, and considering it, they need us to reach out in love and want to provide and, and walk alongside of them through the most, some of the most difficult things that they could be doing. Absolutely. Those who are in our country, no matter how they got here, they need Jesus. Right? And we want to love them. And so we don't want to let our politics 
go at the level of being God's law or get in the way of us having compassion and love. Who had compassion in this? It was Jesus. The Pharisees, they, wouldn't, they weren't allowed to have compassion because they had rules. And rules aren't bad, not at all. You obey your parents in your house. And, and you obey the law, and you, you do other things. But, but we don't let those things get at the place of God's law and distract us from being able to love, being able to show compassion to others. And so as we look at Jesus, he, he offends. Sometimes he offends. Sometimes God offends us, and we see we have a position that needs to change. Jesus offended these Pharisees, and thankfully, some of them were like, well, no, if he's healing someone, then he, he's not of, of the devil, he is of God, and Pharisees were changed. Like, this is the, the good part is there were Pharisees that came and accepted Jesus. You know, we saw that in the story of Nicodemus and others who, they were these leaders who said, no, we can't deny, like, this guy is actually fulfilling prophecies, we need to accept him. But there were a lot of others that let things get in the way, and their offense led them not to repentance. But their offense led them to rejection. And so let your, let, let your offense, if you're offended by God's word, if you're offended, please let it come to a place where we examine it before God and we, we seek to be those who are repentant. So uh, as the story goes on, right, this man is just healed. Uh, there should be a party. You know, his, his parents should be rejoicing. His, his neighbors, all these other people who've given him money should be like, hey, you can, you can come along with us. Let's have a party, right? Well, there's no party at this point. How sad. With this traumatic change, he, he couldn't see, and now his eyes are open. Um, it, just a different response that, that we would anticipate. And that's why we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Yet the Pharisees, again, as James highlighted, have a whole different approach, and they're bound in a religious system that, that has got them so focused on themselves and they don't realize the great wealth that's in their very presence as we look at verse 13 they brought to the pharisees the man who had been formerly blind now it was a sabbath day when jesus made the mud and opened his eyes like james mentioned jesus was in charge the sabbath was for uh for the gospel it was for the good of the people yet part of us who might say well jesus couldn't you have done it on monday and they wouldn't have to offend these people yet god had a greater mission that he was going to accomplish so the Pharisees asked again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Again, the guy with the clipboard saying, yep, 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 he's breaking the law. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, there had been identification. They had DNA, FBI got, no, it wasn't. Family Bureau of Investigation, all right. And there was a division among them. So they said... Again to the blind man, what did you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Just the theology. This guy has, has heard many things. His eyes have not been opened. Yet, over time, God was cultivating in this gentleman and how we're going to come, we're going to land this baby and you're going to see some exciting things about him. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man and received his sight. Now, again, if, if you're a parent, any time uh, we've talked about suffering and, and different issues that we as parents have, and we rejoice when we find out that the, the medicine or the treatment or whatever is working. Uh, they're cautious. Why are they so cautious in this? And they ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
Again, unbelief does not want to look at the facts. It, it's got its own conclusion. I'm going to derive it to that, that verdict. Don't give me the facts. But now he, he, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Now, again, the scuttlebutt, what was going on? This is a prophet. This could be Jesus. Jesus had been working, so they, they probably knew about him. Ask him. He's of age. Again, they're deflecting uh, the question back to their son. He will speak for himself. His parents, and again, the motivation, even the scripture tells why they were hesitant, why they were neutral in this regard. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus, that sounds familiar, right? Confess Jesus, have him your Savior. To be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Their whole society around the synagogue and all the traditions and things like that was resident, and they were going to have to release that based on the very truth that we're seeing here. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Jesus rules over religion and spirituality, and the blind man just tells them that what Jesus has done, muddy my eyes, it's, 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 it's hilarious. He goes through this, this whole litany several times. The religious leaders had a hardness of heart, and they intentionally did not want to open their eyes. Now, in this story, we're going to three, see three groups of people that are highlighted, but also groups of people that we see in our lives, too. The first group, the people are negative. They're negative towards the Pharisees, uh, were the religious leaders. They're the negative group. They did not want the truth. They did not want any highlighting of Jesus. Uh, they wanted their system. Don't mess with our system. And sometimes we have people in our lives that are negative, and no matter what you do, they're not going to get on your team. They're not going to go, yay. And those are the extra grace people. God, um, you work on them. Help me know how to love them. That's that 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, God, uh, you, I have that lesson later in the week. Nope, sometimes, guys, I want to have it today. Uh, so you have the negative folks. And then secondly, we have the people that are neutral towards you. And that's kind of tricky because if you're winning and you're they're on your team, but if what's happening in your life doesn't benefit them, they're going to say, ah, see you later, not, I'm not with you. And in the story, that's his family. And that's sad because his mom and dad, in some degree, had to be rejoicing that it was her son. But because of the religious pressure and the fear of being cast out, they couldn't, they couldn't call Chuck E. Cheese and say, hey, let's have, a, let's have a party, you know. And then the third group, positive. Those that want to bless you and uh, you can trust them and they have your, your good in mind, and in the story, it's the blind guy. Ah, he, he was so receptive for truth that as he knows more about who healed him, he just rejoices, he points people to Christ, and that's, that's the kind of person that God wants us to be as we walk through the week. We, uh, we acknowledge that there's difficulties in life, yet we know greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. And we can point others to Christ. That's part of the testimony James is talking about. As we, as we go through these difficulties, and they're very real, very real, we can, but we can point others to Christ because of what he has done in us and what we know he can do in others also. Sometimes it's easier to receive Jesus when you don't know anything, you aren't holding on to anything. And this guy, he's he's classic case. What did he have? He didn't have a 401k. He didn't have, you know, life insurance. He did have... Well, he did have eternal life insurance, amen, almost. Um, he didn't have any of these things, so he was ready to receive the truth in a powerful way. As we, as we look at the next section, we all have some sort of blindness, and that's a major concept through the story. Blindness that we have, 
Um, do we recognize it? How do we deal with it? John 9, 24 says, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. This goes back to Achan. They're, they knew their scripture back to Achan when they, he'd stolen the stuff and put it away. And they, they were, and the scripture says, You need to give glory to God and not hide this stuff. Again, they're mispro, uh, misappropriating scripture here. We know that, that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. Talking about Jesus, the blind man. One thing I do know, that I was blind, now I see. Unbelievable. Undeniable. The guy is healed. He can't explain everything, but he knows what took place in his life. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Uh, do you also want to become his disciples? He's kind of poking them. Man, that guy's got some zip in his life, doesn't he? Amen. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. Little do they know that Moses, on the Mount of Transfiguration, appeared to Jesus in Motown. He was there. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, well, this is an amazing thing. Again, his responses. The guy didn't go to school. Yet the character and how he responds is just, it's, it's comical. It's, just, it's amazing. There's mirth. There's, there's kids ask, did Jesus laugh? Oh. Some of the one-liners and stuff that Jesus used are, you know, that's stand-up that will last eternity. Amen? Amen. Uh, why, this is an amazing thing. Do you know where he comes from? And yet he opened his eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard, as James said earlier, that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Again, the trail of unbelief. They reject the, the teaching of truth. And the final thing is to be cast out. We all have some sort of blindness in our lives. Uh, both sin and blindness, it's an incurable. It's incurable from the miracle that God does in our lives, the miracle of spiritual salvation. Not, uh, we don't see ourselves or God clearly. That's why through the triads and small groups and people that you trust, God can can speak into your life, and you can trust those sources of people to do that. The blind guy, he acknowledged his blindness. He knew that he was blind. The religious leaders, they denied it. They denied they had any, any side of that at all. So that gives us two responses to blind spots. How can we handle blind spots? That we, that's not personality. It's not temperament. Um, how can we handle those things? First, don't listen to anyone. Uh, be careful who you listen to. People that are, you want someone that's committed to you. And that's where, listen to those that love and have the best in mind for you. And that's why through your family, that people that know the Lord, people that have wisdom, as you allow them to speak into your life, those blind spots can, can be discovered and you can deal with it in, in an amazing way. So as we uh, think about those responses to, to blind spots, we don't just want to listen to just anybody. We want to listen to what, what Jesus has um, and what, how Jesus points us um, in, in a new direction. And to, to finish out the passage, um, we read in, in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So this guy was rejected again. You know, he'd been rejected all of his life. He had been an outcast because everybody thought, well, he's sinned or his parents have sinned. Now Jesus has already answered that question. No, it's for my glory. And then Jesus goes, and look what it says, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? This is beautiful. Jesus went and found him. 
Jesus goes and he finds us. He finds us in, in our, our places. He finds us in our weakness. Um, and so Jesus is the one who goes out and finds this outcast. It's beautiful what Jesus does. And he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Um, and this, this answer is good too. He answered, and, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? We, a couple things are revealed. He doesn't know, this, this blind guy doesn't know everything. He doesn't know who the Son of Man is. He doesn't understand all of the prophecies. But he has a heart that wants to believe. Who is he, sir, so that I may believe? Jesus said to him, he didn't reject him at that point and say, well, why are you asking me questions? What are you, what, are you blind? No. <laughs> He'd already taken care of that. Um, Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. So Jesus reveals himself to him. Jesus reveals truth to him. And this man's response is, Lord. He's called Jesus his master, his Lord. And he says, I believe. And he worshiped him. And looking at this, this response, we think, um, Jesus, uh, it goes on, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The, the, the blind man, his eyes are open. He sees and he believes and he worships. The Pharisees, they claim their eyes are open. And their, their pride helps keep their eyes closed. And they don't see and they don't believe. And we, we see in this that, that faith and worship cure spiritual blindness. Faith and worship help us to walk through suffering. And so as we're blind to the reason why we're suffering, as we're blind to understanding the circumstances around us as we, as we walk through the world in the way that God does, we walk in faith. Lord, I believe. And we worship. And, and this, this worship is he got down and that, that worship of the worship that you, you would a king in those days, you would kiss their feet. And, and this man gets down and he worships. And that worship, you know, he, he may have tons more questions throughout his life. But now he's walking in faith and worship. And those things can help sustain him as he goes back to think, well, why was I blind all my life? You know, oh, I got to remember the truth that Jesus told me. I got I to gotta stand on this word. I got to stand on, on who Jesus is, that he is good enough. And in the same way, we need to do that today. As we look at suffering and sin and other things, we need to walk in that place of belief. And so this, this passage culminates in that. And, and we can ask that question too. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe he's good enough to, to reveal your sin to you so that you can repent and find forgiveness and walk in new life today? Do you believe that he's good enough that in suffering and in sadness and things that you, in circumstances you don't understand, when there's, a, when there's a miscarriage or someone walks away from Christ, when you're betrayed by a friend, when you, when you face cancer or someone in your family does, we're challenged to be those who, who believe and worship. And we walk in faith until we see, and, and a lot of times that, that seeing won't happen until we are, are known fully and we know fully Jesus in his presence. And so we want to we be challenged by that today. Where, where are those places that we need to search God's word and trust his truth so that we can believe in difficult times and we can walk through suffering? 
So do you believe in Jesus? Uh, a great example of this, many of you uh, may know the story of Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata. She dove into the Chesapeake and, and ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And she, she asked those questions so many times. God, why? Why? But she, she wrote uh, in a book, and it, it's beautiful how she, she said it here in her, her, uh, her moving booklet, Hope, the Best of Things. She writes, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that that's not theologically correct. She knows that. But I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven, and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he'll know that I mean it, because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we now are sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, here's the quote, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Let's pray in closing. God, we pray that you would open our eyes God, help reveal blind spots in our life, whether it's sin. Um, God, whether it's, it's walking through suffering in a way that, that we don't fully understand. God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us now. God, let your spirit take your word and move and change us to be more like Christ, to have compassion like him, to walk in forgiveness that he offers us. We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name.